Well, let, let us pray. God, renew us and transform us that we can be grateful for whatever comes our way and find you in the midst of our gratitude. And when we can't muster that, share your grace with us that we can trust fully in who you are and what you have for us and, and, what, and what you have us to become. This we pray in the name of the Spirit and in the name of Jesus. Amen. So a couple of quick verses for us. Now this is from Philippians. All right, here we go. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. And let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, though, though he was in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be grasped, as something to be held on to. But he emptied himself and took the form of a slave, and being found in human likeness, he became one of us. He humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And then from Romans chapter two, 12. Two, two, there we go. I can't see you, but I can see these. So here we go. Chapter 2 of chapter 12. Uh, chapter 12, verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds so that you may discern what is the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. Do not be conformed to this, there you are, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. So, a little bit about the mind again. Um, this word, one of the things about, we'll go back to the Hebrew first. Are you ready for your Hebrew, Hebrew lesson for the day? The Hebrew word for mind is the word lev, L-E-V, lev. And um, often that word, most often that word is translated as heart. The Hebrew people apparently didn't have a different sense of understanding between mind and heart. And so there was only one word for both mind and heart. So they didn't think of all of what we think of as thinking going on up here. We think of it going on up here, you know. They thought of it going on down here. So there wasn't a separation necessarily in mind and heart in the, in the thinking of the, of the, of the Hebrew people. And, but we, as in our English translations, we go back to that and we try to figure out, wait, are they talking more about thinking or feeling? And so translators will change the word to mind or heart you know, for us. So, but you can think of that. Anytime we think of mind, we can also think of heart as well and overcome duality. <laughs> um, that was for David. All right, so... Um, but so that comes back to the sense of the, when Paul says uh, transfer, the transformation of our minds, this word doesn't mean just our thinking apparatus. You know, that word in the Greek means, uh, it means everything that goes into thinking, feeling, imagining. 
It's kind of the totality of, uh, of you know, not only our rationality, but that which creates, uh, yeah, creates. So he says, be, re- be transformed by the renewal of your minds. And as I've been moving us towards that sense of body, mind, and spirit uh, integration, uh, I'm going to bring that into and it says, do not be conformed to the ways of this world, but be transformed uh, by the renewal of your body, mind, spirit. And I think that's what the greatest gift that the CFO camp world, the world that Glenn Clark envisioned and gave to us all, is the sense of how to integrate body, mind, and spirit in a loving way. Yeah. So that's, our, that's where we're starting. Um, let's see what I got. Let's go, to the, let's go to the videotape. Let's see what we've got. There's no videotape. There's no videotape. Okay. Oh, so one of the other parts of the story about Abraham was that um, to express a sense of sacred hospitality. Here, somebody, he's sitting by his tent in the middle of the desert, just kind of lazing in the heat of the day. I don't know if you've done that lately, but uh, you, you don't want to do anything. And these three strangers appear, and he's like, ooh, let's have a party. So everybody goes into stir, st- all stirred up, and they, um, they make a big feast, a big party. And they welcome strangers into their midst. And I'll, I'll tell you that I... 18 years ago, I needed a break from my seminary world where I was studying eight hours a day for a set of exams, five, five eight-hour exams I was going to be taking. And I said, I need to get, oh, I, I finished them. I said, when I finished those exams, I said, I want to do something completely different for the summer. So I went to Israel to teach, uh, Palestine. In Palestine, I went to a school for Islamic law. All right? So here I am, the first Westerner to enter this school uh, school for, I mean, with all my Muslim students. And what was really wonderful is that all my students ended up to be women. And why was that wonderful? Because women are great. Um, <laughs> because in that society, if there had been men and women mixed in the classroom, the women would have had to sit behind a barrier in the back of the room, like a, this, you know, this high. They could see over it, but the men and women were separated, the women in the back and the men in the front. But because there were no men in the classroom, besides me, uh, they were, with the women, we were free to talk with each other and interact with each other. Um, it was really great. And my experiences there were, I began to understand what the word hospitality means for the first time in my life, truly and utterly, what hospitality means. Somebody would meet you for the first time and they're like, oh, Michael, oh, Michael, it is nice to meet you. You must come to my home. You know, it's just over and over and over again. You must come to my home. And they meant it, you know, and so the next thing you know, you're at somebody's home over and over and over again, and this food appears from no, I mean, not from nowhere, but just food after food, I mean, wonderful food. And not only the Muslim people, but Christian Arabs I've met as well. And one time I went into a store, and I said, this is at the Mount Carmel, it's a place where Elijah would have, if I'm getting it right, not Elijah, yeah, Elijah. Um, anyway, some prophet, Elijah, and he, he, was, he did something there. I mean, he defeated the prophets of Baal. It's another story. But anyway, there's a church there, and these are Arab Catholics, and uh, the whole service is in, is in Arabic. And so I asked the woman, I looked around the whole store, I says, do you have any Arab Christian music? And she's like, yeah, yeah, we have this. And it was like first century stuff, and it's not what I was looking for. I was looking for something modern. So I said that. I'm looking for something more modern. And she goes, well, we don't have anything for sale. But, and she goes over to a tape deck. And she pulls out this tape. She goes, this is mine. I bring it every day to me for work for me to listen to. 
but you can have it. And I said, well, let me give you so. No, 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 no. It's for you. And I was like, wow. So that's a sense of uh, that kind of hospitality over and over again. And so I describe it as mystical hospitality because it went beyond everything I knew and the sense of welcoming the stranger as as an honored guest in in one's midst. So let's see what we got to go along with that. Ah, I don't know. Um, Is there a way to play that? He's He's got to push the buttons. All right, we'll play that again, but I'll tell you what's happening here. Um, whom did you recognize? Tanya. Mama Tanya. Mama Tanya is, um, we, Dana and Tanya and I, and I think Boyd was there at that time too, but we had just driven for hours and hours and hours in a, in a butt-bruising ride that through across Malawi. I mean, I'm serious when I say that. We were at the packed into this tiny little car with a, a car that didn't have any shocks. And um, anyway, we arrive after hours of this, and we get to this place where they've all been waiting for hours for us, and we didn't know that. You know, there's going to be a big ceremony all going to happen, and they were just kind of waiting for us to get there. And when we got there, we had, Dana and I had like these 50-pound suitcases. We were traveling everywhere, and these little ladies about this big just came over, took those suitcases onto their back, and off they went with them. You know, off they went with our suitcases. And while that was happening, all of these women had met Tanya before, you know, and so at least many of them had. And so as soon as she steps out of the car, she's, oh, Mama Tanya is here. And she, they wrap her in cloth and, and they, you know, it's, uh, and they just start singing. And they're singing and singing and singing. They can't stop singing because Tanya's there. I mean, we were, we were okay too, but, uh, but, but a sense of celebrating one person to come into their midst. And it was just a pretty wonderful thing. So I don't know if you can bring... Okay, so um, I want to practice, not that song, but we're going to practice a song um, to see the celebrate somebody in our midst. So Mama Tanya, would you come up here?
I'll help you sing. I'll help us all sing. Turn, turn. Oh, oh yeah. No, you're singing the name. Do whatever you want. <laughs> oh, celebrate thee and sing it with an open and a joyful heart. Oh, Ian, celebrate Ian. Sing it with a joyful heart. One more time, one more time. Find somebody else to sing. Find one more time. Oh, Lord, celebrate joy. Sing it with an open and a joyful heart. Oh, Lord, celebrate joy. Sing it with a joyful heart. Woo! All right, yay. Yes. This one? I don't that's the only video I have, so I think I think oh yeah, we'll figure it out. Okay, okay. Bring it back in. Here's the Focus Fox. Focus Fox. There you go. Focus Fox. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for playing along. Um, but can you imagine that if everywhere we showed up, people just kind of started singing, you know? I think that's pretty amazing. So whether you do that outwardly or inwardly, just try it, somebody. Somebody walks in the room and your heart just goes, oh. <laughs> yes, yes. I can't do that. No. I'll have to go back and learn. They'll have to teach me how to ululate. <laughs> I was doing it. Right. Tanya tried to do it and they just laughed at her. So. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it's a pretty powerful experience. But everywhere we went, they sang for Tanya <laughs> over and over again. So, but oh, I just want to show you a couple of pictures. Wait. There's Tanya. She is the, the dignitary at this event. The only other dignitary really was this man who was a, a, region, a, a commissioner over the whole regional area. And so he and Tanya, but she, she's in front of him, notice. You can't see him. He's behind her. Anyway, Tanya was the, this was for spirit in action. So we, uh, we've helped them to transform their community. I mean, spirit in action has, and Tanya at the head of that. So um, I want to tell you one more story about, about, but what hospitality can mean for a community. And um, because what we saw, this is what you know, Dana and I went going along for the first time, we got to see what Spirit in Action's model does. And what their model is is that they give small business grants to individuals, and then they, we don't ask for anything return. We say pay it forward. So the grants go. And what happens, what, that, what I saw in action was... Um, People moving from a poverty mindset to an abundance mindset. And Spirit in Action helps them with that process. We, they do mindset preparation, which is changing their mind from, I'm always going to be poor to, I can be successful. And there's a community of people that support them in being successful. But what I th saw was so wonderful in these communities where there was everybody was beginning to be isolated from each other, all of a sudden, this pay-it-forward model says, oh, all I have all these 
chickens now. I have a pig with, with little babies. I can give one away. And all of a sudden, we saw third generations of people that had received a, like a pig, and then their life was changed. And they ch- gave a pig to the next person, and their lives were changed. And so what happened here is we'd visited a corn mill where there's a, com- a co-op that's working to grind corn together and was wonderful. And then we marched through the desert, people with their umbrellas to ward off the sun, all through this huge field, and we marched, and we marched, and we marched. And we got to a little grouping of homes, and in the midst of it, they said, we're going to give away a pig. The community is going to give a pig. And whom they, to whom they gave it was a young boy whose mother had died, most likely of AIDS. You know, in, there's a whole generation of people that are gone in Africa because of HIV. And so their grandparents and their kids. For this boy, his mother was gone, and his father was pretty much gone. He was an alcoholic, lots of alcoholism. Uh, and so he was non, a non-functioning member of the community at that point. So here's this boy with nothing. And the community said, we're going to give a pig, you know, to this boy. The community is. And so everybody gathered, and they brought the pig out, and they said, Tanya, come lay hands on the pig and give it a blessing. <laughs> so Tanya came up, and she's like, and it was everything. We, we just didn't know. We, all, of us, all of us had to give a little mini speech or sermon about the pig and about God. And so all of us on the spot are thinking, what do we say? What do we say? And so Dana and Boyd and Tanya and I and other SIA people, and we're all giving these speeches, and Tanya's got her hands on the pig, blessing it. And, and then this boy is warded this pig to watch over it and guard it. And, and then someday when that pig grows up, he can sell the, sell the babies or give them away to pass on. But it was a big thing about the community taking care of the most vulnerable. And we saw that in action. And it was just pretty stunning, you know. And, uh, and we were humbled at the fact that they said, no, 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 you're our honored guests. You speak to everybody. And we're like... And there were translators, but it's just a, a sense of honoring the most vulnerable and living in such ways where that's true, because there's a lot of people who can give an impression that the third, things in the third world are so desperate, there's no hope for anybody. And what we saw, you know, is that one approach, and there are many people doing good things all around the world, but we saw one model that's really working, and at the heart of it is a hospitality that creates abundance and creates communities that thrive. So I wanted to highlight that. So I don't know, my, people in my prayer group today, we kind of started with the, the, the um, theme of hospitality, and I was like, ooh, just wait. <laughs> it's going to be tied together. So I, I spoke last time about Sister Magrina out in the desert, baking a farm and, and talking with the children in the neighbor, and that wander through her little farm. And so I just wanted to show you a couple pictures of her. That's us gathered in our little communion there with warm Coca-Cola and bread and oranges. I think there were oranges. That was for the gluten-free guy. He had to eat oranges. Um, okay. We'll get it close up. So here's Sister Magrina. You know, just the, it was funny because we said, well, does the church support you in the work you're doing there? She goes, oh, no. <laughs> She's like, I do this on my own. She says, they, you know, anyway, for whatever reason, she kind of got, went rogue, and she's out there in the desert doing, doing the Jesus thing on her own. And this little girl, little Chebit was her name. <laughs> and uh, she had anyway, a sweet little girl, but these, uh, this is Sister Magrina, and uh, I just wanted to highlight her for you. Ah, so 
So talking about, I, I want to move into again about transforming our stories. That was the big thing. And talking about the place of justice in the world. Sometimes we need to stand up to, to stories that are, are not told well or that really manipulate people. Uh, and sometimes those are powerful stories we have to stand up against. And we do that in love and, and the power of God. But here, this is Glenn Clark, and this is just a snippet. of He talks about weaving stories. See if I, I have to come out there to read. Well, let's see. The great tales of fairyland are symbols of our own subconscious nature, allegories of truth too profound for words. They lie deep in the subconscious mind of the race, even as coal and gas lie in the understrata of the earth. Then he goes on a little bit, and then he says, For instance, the legend of Sleeping Beauty, a legend which recurs in every land, is nothing more than the allegory of the awakening of the soul. And there is a, he wrote a whole book called God in the Folklore, God's Voice in the Folklore, or something like that. So I'm sure this is an inspiration from that. But I like that. The great tales of fairyland are symbols of our own subconscious nature and uh, an allegory of the awakening of the soul. And so, we, so I said, oh, some of the myths and the stories we tell are powerful and they're meaningful and we, we live into them. And there are times when we have to critique those myths and we have to change our story. So what else have we got here? Oh, I talked about this again. The where does the mind exist? I said, for the Hebrew person, the mind isn't here, the mind is here. And it's the same thing as the heart, you know. And I'll just give you a little tidbit. You know, in the, in the Greek language, when it, when it says that Jesus, he says, Jesus looked out of the crowd and he had compassion on them. What the Greek text actually says because they believed that the place of compassion was here. So it says in the Greek text, Jesus looked out at the crowds, and his bowels were moved towards them. <laughs> but, it's a, but we can't, we can't quite say that. If you didn't hear me, it says, Jesus looked out. These are called their splanchnoi. It says his splanchnoi were moved towards the crowds, and it meant bowels. So I just kind of think that's fine. He looked at the crowds, and his bowels were moved towards them. It means he had compassion. Okay. So the place of the body, the mind is throughout the body, and that's what we do here at CFO, is look at body, mind, and spirit as a whole thing, and we integrate that, and uh, anyway, that's part of it. So there's going to be some insights woven, maybe not so well together. Anyway, here we go. What do we got? Um, num, 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 I'm going to skip that. Skip that. We did that. Okay, so let me tell you a little bit about some of the ways that I've helped my body, mind, spirit integrate. And one of those is hypnosis. And a few years ago, about 10 years ago, I took a course of training at the school for which I now teach uh, in hypnosis, hypnotherapy, all right? And this is uh, the style of hypnotherapy I studied. It was called transformative hypnotherapy. And uh, I'll tell you a little bit about it. It was, um, um, when I started, started studying this, I thought, wow, this is, I, I've heard all of this stuff before. Hypnosis is supposed to help your subconscious mind to use images and to use um, the power of creativity to help you sh make shifts in your life and to make your conscious life, you know, livable. And, and the more they talked about this creativity in the subconscious mind and changing your reality, and I was like, wow, it sounds a lot like what I've heard throughout my whole camp experience about prayer. 
I mean, the, Glenn Clark, the way he talks about prayer is that it's a creative act where we, we can speak to the, he doesn't often say subconscious, but he can actually speak to that part of us, that, that creative part that, that um, you know, weaves things together and it incubates and it percolates and all of that. And uh, with, together with the Spirit of God, we, you know, we can create a new reality for ourselves through prayer, a new experience. But hypnosis for me was like, wow, that's a fascinating thing that we can do it and so simply. And when we did this, I started learning about hypnosis. For the first time, I recognized what Barbara Thomas did with that youth group. My first time I was at camp when she led a guided meditation where I walking up the mountain, experience Jesus. Jesus says, you got a gift. Yeah, I got a gift. All right. So that whole activity is much about the way that I studied hypnotherapy. And it's different from, you know, at work recently, with the church I work for, somebody found out that I, I studied hypnotherapy. And they're like, can you hypnotize us? And I said, how do you know I haven't already? <laughs> and what I wanted to say is like, I said, I wanted to tell them. I said, it's different from a stage hypnotist. I mean, they're the same techniques. But what transformative hypnotherapy is, is using the subconscious mind. And you use, you use metaphor um, and storytelling. As, and you bring somebody into a meditative state. And you, you tell the subconscious a really good story that the subconscious can buy into that helps it make the changes that the person wants, you know, has expressed in their conscious mind, saying, I, I want to I change the way that I exercise or eat or just live. I want to get in touch with myself. I want to integrate myself. So hypnosis was one of those things that I found really helpful in my life and still do. Um, yeah, so employing the mind's creativity and the subconscious works via metaphor and image. So, I, you know, it's a tool that's worked for me. And, uh, and also I encourage you to, if you ever explore hypnotherapy at all, you know, I tend towards the transformative kind. Some people have found there's other kinds that are called authoritative hypnotherapy, where they're just going to say, I want to quit smoking, and they come in and they just kind of zap you. I mean, with hypn I mean that's not quite what they do, but it's a very kind of authoritative. They go in and going, you're going to stop smoking and you stop smoking. So that can be a very successful model. But the kind I'm, I've explored and know about is very, it's like meditation. And um, anyway, I found a lot of success in it. So I'm just lifting that up as part of that. You know, the word hypno in Greek means dream. dream. So it's a sense of you're moving into that subconscious dreams-like state to do all that imagining that we talk about and that sometimes we do in, in our prayer states here. Ah, so here's just a few things, kind of a few aphorisms, a little some maxims or something. So just that one of this next one, a student of mine online uses all the time. In fact, everything he writes about has this little catchphrase in it. But he looks at faith as this, faith, feeling as if this is happening already. So that's just an acronym he's using. But he says, whatever you're, you know, whatever you want to, uh, and I, this resonates with what Diana was saying all this morning, a sense of setting the vibration, setting the, our mindset, our intention. And, um, but I like this, the sense of faith is, oh, because what I liked about this is so through much of my life, um, prayer was up here, you know, in the head. And to move it into the heart, yeah, I got, you know, moving that into a very creative activity. But what I've learned most recently is to move the prayer into the gut as well, into the splanchnoi. So when that Jesus says his bowels were moved to them, we want to move our prayer into all of our body so that we can get that sense of the fullness of who we are 
I hope this is making some sense, but here is a sense of bringing in the feeling level as part of prayer. Uh, I'm beginning and exploring to find out how important that is. So a sense of not just up here in the head and in the heart, but move it move it all throughout the body so that I can feel. And the, the idea here is of saying, okay, what's the change I want to see? If I'm praying for health, I says, what would I feel if I were health, if I, whatever the definition of healthy is, or whole? What's the feeling that I would be feeling then? <gasps> joy. So create joy here and now for me. That's it. What sounds easy, sometimes it's hard for me to create joy. So what do I do? I, what? Let go. Let go. I, yeah, I've got to do let go and let God. I've got to sing. I've got to move. I've got to dance. I've got to do, engage the whole body. That helps me shift the energy in my body to begin to feel. So let go, let God is let go and let God have his wonderful way. Is a really wonderful way of, of helping to shift so that I begin to feel in my body. When I can't, oh, 12-step groups, they often say, as you're working through the 12 steps, What's one of the phrases they say? If you're not feeling it, what do they say? There, thank you. Say it a little louder. Fake it till you make it. So sometimes we have to kind of go through the actions. We gotta, you gotta, yeah. I mean, I'm not, not sure I totally agree with fake it till you make it, but go through the actions until you begin to create the feeling, the discipline in your body. So just a couple of things to share with you. So what I began to discover then in, in more reading was that these three components were very important in prayer. And so that there's the element of faith. Okay, so faith, uh, oh, so there's a Greek word. I'll, I guess you'll show it in the next page. But there's a, a sense of, there's an element of belief, kind of cognitive believing, believing, <laughs> believing, together with imagination, and then feeling is a really important con- part of this whole triangle. So um, faith, imagination, and feeling. And feeling is the part that I'm moving into more. That's I've got to explore my feelings. And, and wow, these are powerful tools. So here's a little bit more on that. Oops, oops, ah, ooh, ah. So here's what I say. So ah, we're doing a little Greek words for you. Not a late on a Thursday night at the end of camp when you were all tired. But here we go. Pistis is a Greek word for faith. But it also means belief and it means trust. All of those are together. What I love about that is that each of those words, might, you might perceive that in a different place in your body. So where, where, just check in with your body, where is belief in your body? Belief. Okay, so some people are pointing to their heads. Right, where is faith in your body? Okay, so somebody's pointing to their heart. These aren't set answers, and this is general generality. Okay, and where is trust? Okay, so, so that's, these are, this is one answer. Faith, oh, belief, faith, trust could be one way to construct that. And that's a sense of how to bring all that together. One word we often get only in, the, in these biblical texts, but it means all of those things. And we need to, for me, I want to experience all of that together. Let's keep track of the time. Okay. Imagination also can mean visualization. I've, uh, Agnes Sanford was the one who turned me on to visualizing prayer seeing light. And that was so powerful for me as a young person. I would often imagine myself driving to school in college uh, and light just filling up the whole highway all before me. So it's another way of doing what Diana did, saying, that person is a doctor and he's rushing off to, the, to save the, a mother's giving birth and that baby's going to change the world. 
she's doing something similar with her imagination. Um, also, to, for me, it was to visualize light. And then um, to, for me to add the components of emotion, of the guts and the heart, everything together, to add all, weave all of that together, is beginning more and more to be very important for me. So, uh, ah, so let's talk about this dynamic of how to create change, the process of change. You're getting lots of the, this is, a, lot, a little bit of heady stuff right here towards the end, but uh, then we get back to some poetry, okay? Oh, here we go. So what I was been working on is I, throughout my own life, I'm a, I, I studied a lot of things, and I know a lot of things, you know? I have a lot of awareness, you know? Throughout camp has helped me to become aware of, uh, you know, brokenness. And I did attend 12-step groups, but that was like adult children of alcoholics group, and I learned a lot of things. And how that came about, though, I'll tell you a quick story. I was, you know, this, I'd been to camp at least five or six years, and I'm thinking, my life is great. I'm, I'm working for a church at that point, and everything's super, and everybody likes Mike. And this one guy at the church, he, says, he invited me over for dinner at one time, and he, he said, he says, Mike, I've been meaning to talk to you. He wasn't much older than me. He says, Mike, I've been meaning to talk to you. He says, you're full of rage, and you don't know it. And I was like, what, me? I love everybody. He says, it doesn't matter. You're full of rage. And he handed me a sheet for this adult children of alcoholics, the characteristics of adult children of alcoholics. And there are 100 characteristics on it. And I read that, and I was, well, every one of them was true for me. Yeah. So I started going to a 12-step group called Adult Children of Alcoholics, and I had a lot of awareness. And I moved through a lot of stuff going through the 12 steps. It was brilliant. So I got a lot of awareness throughout my life, but I wasn't creating change. So this, this actually comes with my work with Hope Farr. And she, so she says, yeah, Mike, whoo, you got a lot of awareness. Actually, she called me up and she said, I have a sense that you need some help. And I was like, oh? And I haven't talked to her in many years, but she's got to come back. She's come back to me. She says, she goes, I never do this. I never call somebody up and say, I can help you. Usually people come to me. She says, but I think you need some help. And so she says, I want you to move from your great awareness, she goes, into really creating genuine change. And so at first, we're going to skip the second one. She's, we were modeling awareness, and from out of awareness, she goes, actually, make choices. Choose. And from out of choice, move into action. And from action, then comes change. And so I was beginning to work with this model, and I'm thinking, okay, this is good. I'm beginning to make changes. And, I, we're, oh, and she says, we're only choosing. Every moment of every day, well, all we're ever doing is choosing we're choosing, okay? So we'll come back to that. So I'm working with all of this stuff, and after a while, I'm like, it's not working so much. And she goes, oh, 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 I forgot. Trust. So we put trust in that model again. She says, oh, yeah, I forgot. I've added this in. you got to trust. And I love it in Diane Bush's uh, writing group yesterday. Diane, we wrote about trust. And who was from that group? It was, she said, trust can be like an acronym. Who from the group remembers what it was yesterday? Yeah, Sarah. Okay, I'll, so I'll say it again. I'll say it. Totally relying upon spirit's timing. I thought, well, that's nice. Trust. Totally relying upon spirit's timing. Um, because for me, that trust has become now the key element in my creating change in my life because trust is about feeling. Where did we say feeling? Where did we say trust was? No, sorry. 
trust is, trust is here, you know. So it's about the storing of feeling and where that is. This great center of compassion and all other kind of stuff. So sense of move and trust is like, I've got to get in touch with this. And that gut sense of feeling about and confidence is saying, well, and what am I trusting in? And for me, I can say I trust in God. I trust in spirit. I trust in the universe. Something, something benevolent. Benella? Might. Wow. It's kind of a, an elephant named Ben. Uh, sorry. Uh, benevolent. A benevolent universe. God. Jesus. The angels. There's so much that I trust, actually trust in, except for myself. And so it's about moving that trust into the body. So I, I just lift this up because this is what I'm exploring, and I don't have great stories for you right at the moment to say, well, I did this and this and this and this, and my life is changed. But I'm working on it. That's what I'm, I'm working on, the kind of change to, to be, to trust myself, to love myself, and, and be the person, to be that bridge builder, to build bridges of love that God wants, that's my purpose. Has enough for that there on that? Okay, you got that. Um, oh, let's look at the time. Let's see if we have enough for that. I just want to, I want to lift up here, just before you do that, uh, to say what I'm becoming more aware of is that my every emotion is my choice, my choice, my choosing. So if I ever say to somebody, you make me so mad, I'm actually speaking an untruth. That person didn't make me mad. I chose to be mad in, in conjunction with what that person was doing and what I was interpreting. Sorry, going fast. What I was interpreting that person to doing, I'm choosing anger, right? And the thing is that when we're children, we often live in situations where we don't feel like we have much choice. Things happen, seem to happen to us. And so we kind of build this pattern of, my parents wounded me somehow, you know? Or somebody in my life abused me. And uh, so... I know if we sat with this too long, we might, we might come up to the situation and saying, I didn't choose this experience. And then I'd have to take a step back and say, okay, tell me more. We'd listen and, I, and we'd say, okay. But at some point I had a choice in choosing how I react to that. And somebody I was talking to this week talked about uh, the, maybe it was George, I don't know. Uh, the vitality, what's the word? Somebody like say, a couple of different people went through the Holocaust and survived. One lived after that point a life of bitterness and anger and resentment towards what had been done. And another person, resilience, that's the word, thank you. Resilience. One person, anger and resentment and rage. And another person was able to live in such a way as saying, this wasn't about me. And they didn't do anything to me, you know, in a sense that I, what really mattered. And somebody else can choose another way of being in the world. Forgiveness, radical forgiveness, that's hard for me to understand. But uh, anyway, I at least wanted to lift this up because this is what I'm working on. So this whole idea is that every emotion I have is my choice. And I do want to bring that in also into conversation with, uh, that people say, well, you know, I've got some brain chemistry issues, you know, you know, real things going on that I don't feel like I'm choosing this depression. And so, okay, I'll say, all right, that's, I mean, I, I don't know enough about all that, but to say, okay, but where can we empower ourselves to say, I can make a choice. On some level, I can choose something in the midst of this. But I just want to list this up to say, like when somebody says, oh, you make me so angry, so mad, I'm giving away my power in that. You know, I'm, I'm saying that somebody else has enough power over me to change my feelings and my being. 
So to sh that's giving away power. We create every thought and every emotion. And so what I'm learning to do is saying, oh, you know what, I'm noticing I'm angry right now. And that's not putting it on the, I'm noticing I'm angry and I want to review something with you, if it's another person. I want to review this and see if somehow this could have gone a different way. You know, it's like there's lots to kind of work through in that. But what it does at least is to help me say, I'm responsible for my own anger. And Diana talked about that, like that's what she was saying. In a car, she's like, well, wait a minute. I'm responsible for my experience here. What, I, what can I do? So, you know, it all ties together. So I'm noticing, and what hope is actually helping me do is because as soon as I notice something, then I get mad about, oh, I made myself angry. I'm a victim of myself. <laughs> wow, it's a catch-22. And she says, just notice with joy. Oh, what a wonderful uh, talent I have for creating unhappiness. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, just notice with joy and breathe through it. She says, just breathe out, breathe in and make a choice that says, okay, if I want a different experience right now, I can make a choice. Our emotions are about us and not about the other person. We are not the victim of other people's actions, opinions, and beliefs, at least on the level of emotion we can choose. Now, yes, I think we could all sit down and kind of create some extreme examples of victimhood and, and have deeper discussions about this. So I'll ask me about this in a year or something, but I'm working on this sense of, okay, I have choices. Other people don't make me angry. I choose that, and I can notice it, and then I can notice what to do with that anger. Sometimes anger spurs us on to doing some very creative and important things, um, and sometimes anger just gets in the way. I just, I'm using anger as one thing. But play with that in your life. As soon as you find yourself saying, oh, you know, that, that cashier at the grocery store, just, oh, she makes me so, I'm so irritated. You're like, okay. Remember, that's about you and not about her. I'm, that's, I'm telling myself that, you know. Okay, what else we got? Yeah, and that's all about, I think Diana said this too. Should we take offense at things or not? And I'm really great at being offended, you know. Something happens in the world, in the, in the, new, with the world news, and I'm like, that offends every sense I have of right and wrong. I'm so offended. And then I'm just stuck with my offense, my being offended. It's just stuck in my body, and I don't know what to do with it. So... I take a step back and say, okay, I got a choice. What am I going to do with that? And so when I told you earlier about something that happened earlier in the week when somebody just came right up to me and said, I'm so sad. You people, you're a non-Christian pagan cult. And then she went on to say, do you know what's more? They accept everyone there. They say it right in their brochure. Have you seen their brochure? And I'm thinking, um... I'm in it. Mm. Anyway, so, but this person said, they say that they accept all orientations and all creeds. I don't know how you feel about this. And I thought, no, you don't. And again, I said, I hear you're struggling with that. And this is new for me. Not to, you can probably hear a tiniest bit of, I'm offended at this whole situation. I said, okay, I gotta let go of that. But it's for me to really work on saying, that was totally about that other person. But I needed to just sit down and pray and kind of breathe through it because I, it was a situation that was difficult for me, conflict. I was like, okay, work it through, work it through, work it through. Breathe it, let it go, do something. So one of the things that uh, oh, 
Hope said, she told this story once, she said she was driving in a car with somebody who was expressing views that were totally different from her own, kind of going on about some situation, and she didn't say anything. And so two weeks later, this person brought it up again, and then, then Hope says, well, I really think differently. Well, why didn't you say something before? I thought you agreed with me. And so she said that silence sometimes can signal agreement. And so she, one thing that she offers up that I practice with is, is to say, instead of saying, oh, uh, I'm so offended at what you're saying. It's like, I understand it differently. And no need to say anything more unless the person says, well, tell me more or something. But I just can say to let go of the drama of it and to be able to live in that space of, I, I hold a different understanding, I hold a different opinion. And so I understand that differently. And see what that can do for a conversation. Another great one that she taught me is, is um, tell me more. She says, when somebody kind of gets in your face and is just going at it, and it's like, this person, I don't relate, I don't understand, it's like, I disagree so completely, and yet I can practice some radical hospitality in that moment and say, tell me more. You know, and I can listen. And sometimes in the tell me more, there's some disarming that goes on, and the person begins to feel a genuine sense of hospitality, and edges can soften, and and you begin to hear what's really important to that person. So, you know, that's something I practice with is too. I use it in the classroom all the time when I don't understand what a student is saying, though. They're like talking, and I'm like, hmm, hmm. Well, tell me more about that. So if you ever hear me use that, you'll know I'm like, I have no idea what you're saying. <laughs> but I do use that, tell me more. Yeah, now you knew it. Tell me more. Oh, and again, again, the sense of simply noticing for me, lately, I've been dealing a lot with a sense I've been holding my breath for several years now. And you're thinking, how does he even stand there? Well, it's not literally. But I grip my breath. And I'm trying to work through it and work through it and work through it. And I was speaking with Hope about it. He says, I'm not changing. You know, my pulse oxygen is at 92%. It, it often is. You know, and the doctor's like, are you, are you okay? Um, and then we figured out it's just because I'm not breathing. And so I have to remind myself to breathe, but I get really down on myself. So there you go again, you're not breathing, you're all uptight. And Hope says, just notice and let it go. She says, don't tell yourself, tell yourself a new story. All right. Oh, so you got this one, right? Like when, when some kind of conflict comes up or I'm hearing like friends of people at work, they're like, I can't believe, you know, our boss, he's done this again. Oh, I'm so mad. And if I can just, if I can muster it, I'm like, wow. What an amazing opportunity for growth for you, <laughs> you know, or for me or for us, you know, just, it kind of it diffuses the drama a bit. What else we got? Oh, should we get Schweitzer? We have time for Schweitzer? Mm. All right, let's just see. That's the last slide, so I guess we do. Oh, no, no, no that isn't, we're not going to have time for that, though. Okay, that's my self-dialogue. I'm going to take us back into the place of mystery a little bit. Don't look at that. Okay. I'm inviting you not to look at that. Okay. I'm going to read you just a couple of letters from God, letters to God, from God, from my first uh, couple of camps. This is back in 1985, so this was Camp 2. And uh, it's fun to read back through these. So here we go. God, you have led me through some incredible experiences here at CFO this year. I am writing them down so as not to forget them in the coming year. Uh, some insights. I am a seed that is growing. I am nourished and, and growth is good. I can forgive and heal my memories. 
through the power of my Lord Jesus Christ. You are with me always. There is an alternative to everything. War, the alternative war is peace, death, life, hate, and love. Hate, love. You lead me through the night and your path is clear. You heard that story, right? Okay, if you weren't here, you missed it. All right, so... I'm just kidding. You'll hear it. Ask me about that. The path lit up with light. Okay, here we go. Your saints are always here. They are loving and strong. Help me not lose sight of those who love me. Let me love those who hate me. Thank you, Lord, for the human and spiritual insight. Thank you, Lord, for your love. You have blessed me greatly. And God's reply, Mike, you are my beloved. I am with you always. I am between you and each eye. Other eye. You are my blessed and beloved. Nice. One more here. Oh, if you didn't know that, I have 30 something years of uh, letters here. Dear God, here I am at camp. I have received affirmation that I'm I'm a spiritual being on a spiritual journey. I constantly need to seek God's way, will, plan, and love for life. All things that come to me I know are perfect, not good or bad, but all part of the divine plan. Lord, all those things are, oh, all those things that are, are here at camp. I guess I was saying, I love being at camp because great clarity comes to me. But out there in the world, these things get muddled and I feel insecure, avoiding chances to exhibit Christ's love and his strength. And I kind of go on and on and on. But, and then we get to God's answer. Dear Mike, your questions are valid, <laughs> but remember that I always love you. Pray, trust, it's right there, trust, give, love. Take what comes as perfect. Consider each person's act as one of love. Do not judge, love. This is your purpose. Love when everyone else's vision prevents them from being loving and lovable. I grant you discernment. I bless you in your commitment to love your family and uphold your vision of a close giving family, open and forgiving. Remember, I love you. You are my child. You are a child of light. Learn of me and teach others. I bless you, God. <laughs> so, those are fun. What I like then about learning at camp was we could hear from God through our creative imagination. Wonderful. I love this quote from Albert Schweitzer, who was a New Testament. He was a biblical scholar late 1800s into the 1900s, he was very much a skeptic. He was looking for the historical Jesus. But at the end of all of his big book on the historical Jesus, he writes this. Talking about Jesus. He comes to us as one unknown, without a name as of old by the lakeside, He comes to those men, those people who knew him not. He speaks to us the same word, follow thou me, and sets us to the tasks which he has for us to fulfill. 
He commands, and to those who obey him, what, whether they be wise or simple, he will reveal himself in the toils, the conflicts, the sufferings which they shall pass through in his fellowship. And as an ineffable mystery, that means unspeakable, as an un- ineffable mystery, they shall learn in their own experience who he is. He comes to us as one unknown, without a name, as of old by the lakeside. And he will reveal himself in the toils, the conflicts, the sufferings which they, have, which they will pass through in his fellowship. And as an ineffable mystery, they shall learn in their own experience who he is. Two minutes. <laughs> Okay, we're not going to do any of those things. So I think then to end with that sense of um, calling to remembrance who we are. And who we are in the sight of God for whoever, whatever that means for you. Um, to be beloved. Remember that you are loved. So uh, I join, oh, you can zap that away. Thank you. Thank you, Jay. Jay's, that's, it's so helpful to have that, so thank you, Jay. So um, if you sing with me the song that I taught with you, uh, I call to remembrance, I call to remembrance, each day that I'm living, I call to remembrance just who I am. I'm body, mind, and spirit, a holy three-in-one. I'm... Lieben, leben und lernen. I don't know if you noticed that I stuck that in there. In Germany, CFO is called Lieben, leben, lernen, which is living, loving, and learning. All right? So I'm living, loving, learning, and I have just begun to see my sacred purpose for each and every day. I call to remembrance to live this holy way. Yeah, it's because words we sing are a different place than words we speak, so... It's hard to access them. Anyway, sing along with you if you can, and we'll end with this. I call to remembrance each day that I'm living. I call to remembrance just who I am. I'm body, mind, and spirit, a holy three-in-one. I'm living, loving, learning, and I have just begun to see my sacred purpose for each and every day. I call to remembrance to live this holy way. Let's do it one more time. Stand up one more time and we'll sing it. If you don't know it, just go, here we go. I call to remembrance each day that I'm living. I call to remembrance just who I am. I'm body, mind, and spirit, a holy three in one. I'm living, loving, learning, and I have just begun to see my sacred purpose for each and every day. I call to remembrance to live this holy way. Thank you.